Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, forward prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend, the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to History Tea Time. I'm Lindsay Holiday, and I'm spilling the tea on history. Today I have a special treat for all my new podcast listeners, an exclusive early listen to three new episodes, which won't be appearing on YouTube until next month. Visiting the castles and palaces of Britain as a child was what first sparked my lifelong love of history. Stepping into banqueting halls and privy chambers has always made me feel as though I am stepping into the past. Whether you have had the privilege to visit any of these remarkable sites, or you just want to enjoy daydreaming about them, I invite you to come on this journey with me. Royal Castles and Palaces of England Part 3, The Georgians to Today What makes a man a king? Aside from genetic luck and a glittering crown, it's a castle. From the defensive towers erected by William I to secure his conquest of England, to the grand banqueting halls of Henry VIII, the luxurious staterooms of the Stuarts and Georgians, to the lovingly and expensively maintained residences of the modern royal family. Royal castles and palaces have played witness to the lives of kings and queens, and many key moments in history. Their evolution reflects the changing needs and tastes of the monarchy. In this three-part series, we'll explore 15 of the most historically important royal castles and palaces of England, and one in Scotland. In the last two episodes, we explored the medieval defensive castles, which helped William the Conqueror and his warrior descendants dominate England and the sprawling Tudor palaces built by Henry VIII for feasting and frolicking. Today, we'll explore the pleasure palaces built or bought by the Stuarts, the Georgians, and Queen Victoria and Prince Albert. These iconic historic mansions are the official residences and holiday homes of the modern British royal family. Kensington Palace, royal residence from 1689 to 1760. This London estate was originally built in 1605. When William and Mary came to the throne in 1689, they didn't care for the outdated Tudor palaces available to them. 
William was the Prince of Orange, ruler of the modern-day Netherlands, and the couple preferred European-style Baroque palaces like Versailles. The co-monarchs purchased Kensington in the heart of London and ordered additions rather than an entirely new palace to save money. The court moved in shortly before Christmas, 1689, and for the next 70 years, Kensington Palace was the favored London royal residence. Mary died of smallpox there in 1694. Eight years later, William fell from his horse at Hampton Court and was brought to Kensington, where he died. Mary's sister Anne ordered updates, including a staircase with shallow steps so that she could walk down gracefully in high heels and a gown, and a beautifully decorated greenhouse for outdoor entertaining. Queen Anne died at Kensington in 1714. As she had no surviving children, the throne went to her German cousin, George I. He spent lavishly on new apartments. The octagonal cupola room was painted in gold and blue and decorated with a star of the Order of the Garter. The king's grand staircase was decorated with portraits of 45 of his courtiers. George II lived at the palace but made no major changes, though his wife, Caroline of Ansbach, redesigned the gardens. George II died there in 1760. George III did not like his ancestors, and he ignored Kensington, which fell into disrepair. He did use it to house a few of his 15 adult children. Prince Auguste Frederick amassed an impressive library there, and Princess Sophia lived there while she was going blind and possibly suffering the same mental illness as her father. George's fourth son, Prince Edward, Duke of Kent, was granted two floors of rooms in the southeast corner. His daughter, the future Queen Victoria, was born there in 1819, and her christening was conducted in the cupola room. Edward died nine months later, and Victoria grew up at Kensington under the strict eye of her mother, Victoria, Duchess of Kent. The Duchess devised a regime of overprotection, which she called the Kensington System. The princess slept in her mother's room, had to hold someone's hand when going up or down stairs, and was kept away from other children. Worse, the Duchess's comptroller, John Conroy, bullied Victoria in an attempt to make the future queen dependent on him. In the early hours of June 20, 1837, 18-year-old Victoria was awakened to be told that her uncle, King William IV, had died and that she was now queen. Her first act as monarch was to request her own bedroom away from her mother. She held her first privy council at Kensington. The queen promptly moved out of her abusive childhood home into Buckingham Palace, but she continued to grant rooms at Kensington to extended family members, including her cousin, Princess Mary Adelaide. Her daughter, the future queen consort Mary of Tack, was born there in 1867, in the same room Queen Victoria had been delivered in. 
Victoria granted rooms to her daughter, Princess Louise. She had an art studio there and sculpted a statue of her mother, which stands at the palace today. So many royal relatives were living at Kensington during the 1920s and 30s that Edward VIII called it the Aunt Heap. Queen Victoria's granddaughter, Victoria Marchioness of Milford Haven, raised her grandson, Prince Philip, there after his family lost the throne of Greece. Prince Philip stayed there leading up to his wedding to the future Queen Elizabeth II in 1947. Her younger sister, Princess Margaret, moved in to refurbished apartment 1A following her marriage to Anthony Armstrong Jones. The Queen's cousins, Prince Richard of Gloucester and Prince Michael of Kent, were also granted apartments there. In 1981, apartment 8 and 9 were combined to make a London residence for newlyweds Charles, Prince of Wales, and Diana. Their sons, Prince William and Harry, were raised there and went to local nursery schools. The palace has been described as a children's paradise, with long passageways and numerous gardens. The Kensington apartment remained Diana's home after her divorce and until her death in 1997. Her coffin was kept at the palace the night before her funeral. Following their marriage in 2011, Prince William and Catherine Middleton renovated apartment 1A, Princess Margaret's former home, at a cost of 4.5 million pounds. It was completely gutted to remove asbestos and to install modern heating and electric. It now comprises three stories with three bedrooms, two nurseries, and five reception rooms, and has been the family's main London residence since 2017. Prince Harry and Meghan Markle lived at Nottingham Cottage on the Kensington Estate from 2013 to 2019, and Princess Eugenie and Jack Brookbanks lived at Ivy Cottage until 2020. Kew Palace, 1727-1800 On this site in the London borough of Richmond once stood the childhood home of Robert Dudley, favorite and possible lover of Queen Elizabeth I. In 1619, a wealthy merchant built a new house in the Dutch style. In 1727, George II inherited the throne. He and his wife, Caroline, and six of their adult children were all living together at Richmond Lodge on the grounds of the ruined Richmond Palace. The house was cramped, so the queen leased the Dutch house for her three eldest daughters, Anne, Amelia, and Caroline. 21-year-old Frederick, Prince of Wales, leased the White House, a Tudor-era mansion also on the Kew property. This painting depicts the prince and three princesses playing music together at Kew. Frederick ordered the gardens to be redesigned. He stayed all day in the gardens till night in the damp rain and hail to look at his workmen. The prince caught a chill which, combined with a pulmonary embolism from being struck in the chest by a tennis ball, proved fatal, and he died at 44. His widow, Augusta, continued living at the White House with their children and renovating the gardens. 
she added an orangery and pagoda. Once the ants had moved elsewhere, Augusta converted the Dutch house to a school for her sons, including the future King George III. He ascended the throne at 22 and married Charlotte of Mecklenburg-Strelitz. The newlyweds moved into his grandparents' old house, Richmond Lodge. George and Charlotte had 15 children, and soon the lodge was more cramped than ever before. Once his mother died, George moved his family to Kew, living in the White House and again using the Dutch house as a school for his large brood. In 1781, George actually purchased the property, which until then had only been leased. The king began to suffer bouts of an unknown mental illness, which left him raving and rampaging through the palace. He was kept at the White House while Charlotte and their daughters moved in to the Dutch house. While the princes established households of their own, the king and queen were loathed to allow their daughters to leave them. They turned down a number of suitors who sought the hand of one of the princesses. The daughters grew desolate in their forced spinsterhood and dubbed Kew Palace the nunnery. By 1802, the White House was in disrepair and was demolished to make way for a new, neo-Gothic-style, castellated palace. Construction began at the site, but in 1810, the king fell back into madness, this time lasting 10 years until his death. Once his son was in power as Prince Regent, he had no interest in finishing his father's design, so the empty shell of the castellated palace was abandoned. George later ordered it pulled apart and the pieces used in his own projects. The grand staircase was installed at Buckingham Palace. He also planned to demolish and recycle the Dutch house, but he died before the wrecking balls arrived. William IV offered Kew Palace to Victoria, Duchess of Kent, but she turned her nose up at the old palace. The Dutch house was unoccupied for most of the 19th century. Meanwhile, the gardens around the house were founded as a National Botanical Garden in 1840. In 1898, Queen Victoria gifted the Dutch house to Kew Gardens to mark her Diamond Jubilee. Today, the house is open to the public, and Kew Gardens holds the largest and most diverse botanical collection in the world. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandslots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody shush! William Shatner has something to say. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. What do you do when the woman you love dies? 
Well, of course, you dig her up and you live with her. Aww. The show examines weird things. There are plenty of old photographs from this time period of children out in the streets playing in and among the dead horse carcasses. Oh, I miss those days. Things used to be so much simpler. Cat and Jethro. Then there's the urine wheel, which sounds like a really bad game show. They've done weird things. and Jethro, Box of Oddities. That is really mysterious. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the Box of Oddities. The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media. Buckingham Palace, 1837 to today. In the Middle Ages, this marshy land along the River Tyburn passed in and out of royal ownership. James I established a four-acre mulberry garden for the production of silk on the site. The first Duke of Buckingham built a house there in 1703. His son sold it to King George III for £21,000 in 1761. The king planned to remodel Buckingham House as a retreat for his wife, Queen Charlotte, and it was briefly known as the Queen's House, but eventually it became the royal family's main home. 14 of Charlotte's 15 children were delivered there. The house was furnished luxuriously, but cheaply, with items purchased from aristocratic homes in France after the Revolution. When George IV came to the throne in 1820, he planned to renovate the existing house into a small, comfortable home. But the over-the-top king changed his mind and hired architect John Nash to transform it into a palace. George died before it was complete. His brother, William IV, kept the construction going, but didn't care for the design. When Westminster burned down in 1834, he offered it to Parliament for their use, but they decided to rebuild Westminster instead. Buckingham Palace was complete just in time for Queen Victoria to move in upon her ascension in 1837. She made it the official London residence of the monarch. While George IV loved flair and created staterooms in a riot of gold and color, he overlooked many functional features. The chimneys smoked so much that fires couldn't be kept burning and the palace was often cold. Poor ventilation meant that the rooms smelled, and when gas lamps were installed, there was a serious worry about gas buildup and asphyxiation. Victoria's husband, Prince Albert, set about fixing the palace's myriad design problems. Victoria and Albert hosted many glittering masquerades and renowned musicians at Buckingham Palace. Their eldest daughter, also named Victoria, married the future Kaiser Frederick III of Germany. They were the first newlyweds to wave to the crowd from the balcony of Buckingham Palace, a PR stunt which has become pivotal to the royal family. After Albert died, Victoria became depressed. She stayed away from Buckingham Palace for several years, frustrating the nation with her taxpayer-funded idolatry. 
a sign was posted on the gate of Buckingham Palace saying these commanding premises to be let or sold in consequence of the late occupants declining business. Eventually, the somber queen was persuaded to return to London, but she spent as much time away as she could. After her death in 1901, her son Edward VII redecorated the ballroom, grand entrance, marble hall, grand staircase, vestibules, and galleries in the Belle Epoque cream and gold color scheme they retain today. During World War II, the palace was bombed nine times. The chapel was destroyed in 1940, and King George VI and Queen Elizabeth were nearly killed. Their refusal to leave London endeared them to their people and boosted morale. They did send their daughters and most of the palace's valuables to nearby medieval fortress Windsor Castle. On VE Day 1945, the King, Queen, and Princesses Elizabeth and Margaret appeared on the balcony to wave to the elated and relieved crowd. Buckingham Palace remains the official London royal residence of the monarch. However, the palace is not owned by the Queen personally, but by the Crown and is maintained by the government. Buckingham Palace is periodically open to the public and received over half a million visitors in 2017. The royal standard flag is flown above the palace when the monarch is in residence, and a union flag is flown when she is away. The Royal Pavilion, 1786-1838 at the age of 21, the future King George IV first visited the seaside town of Brighton. He stayed with his uncle, the Duke of Cumberland, whose taste for fine cuisine, gambling, theater, and women matched the prince's. George frequently rented a modest farmhouse at Brighton for discreet liaisons with his mistress, Maria Fitzherbert. Royal presents made the resort fashionable and people flocked there to take in healing salt water and sea air. Back in London, the prince got in hot water for his extravagant spending on redecorating his London home, Carlton House. Never one to heed a warning, he went ahead with plans to build a holiday home in Brighton. The first iteration was a neoclassical house of three main rooms. But as his father sunk into madness, the prince suffered from more power and less parental and government oversight. He continued to expand his holiday home at Brighton, which became a fantasy of Indian-inspired confection. After his death, his niece, Queen Victoria, visited the pavilion, but found she attracted too much attention in the tourist town. She and Prince Albert built other, more private holiday retreats. They sold the pavilion to the town of Brighton for £53,000 in 1850. The Royal Pavilion is now a tourist attraction and wedding venue, with 400,000 annual visitors. Clarence House, 1827 to today. The London House was designed by John Nash and built for Prince William, Duke of Clarence. Three years later, he became King William IV. 
he remained at Clarence during his reign, as he preferred it to Henry VIII's antiquated St. James Palace and his brother's ostentatious Buckingham Palace. When William died in 1837, he willed Clarence to his sister, Princess Augusta Sophia. After her, it was granted to Queen Victoria's mother. When she died, it became the home of Victoria's second son, Prince Alfred, and then her third son, Prince Arthur. During World War II, Clarence House suffered damage in the Blitz. Prince Arthur died in 1942, and the Red Cross used the building as their headquarters for the rest of the war. Newlyweds Princess Elizabeth and Prince Philip were granted Clarence House after their wedding in 1947. Prince Philip undertook renovations to modernize the home. Their daughter, Princess Anne, was born there in 1950. When Elizabeth became queen, the family moved into Buckingham Palace. The queen mother and the queen's sister, Princess Margaret, moved into Clarence. It remained the Queen Mum's London residence until her death in 2002. Then it was granted to her favorite grandson, Charles, Prince of Wales, who lives there still with his wife, Camilla. Osborne House, 1846-1901 Queen Victoria had pleasant memories of childhood holidays on the Isle of Wight in the English Channel. She and Albert bought Osborne House as a family holiday home in 1845. They paid for it with the sale of the Royal Pavilion in Brighton. The existing house was too small for their growing family, so they built a new, larger residence in the Italian Renaissance style, complete with two Belvedere Towers. Prince Albert designed the house himself, with Thomas Cubitt, who built the main facade of Buckingham Palace. The billiard room, queen's dining room, and drawing room on the ground floor all express the grandeur expected of a royal palace, but the private second story was more simply decorated for informal family life. Victoria and Albert brought their children up in an intimate and loving environment, at a time when many royal children still lived in separate palaces from their parents. This painting of the happy family hangs in Osborne. They visited Osborne three times a year, in May for Victoria's birthday, in August for Albert's, and right before Christmas. The estate boasts gardens, woodlands, and a private beach, where the queen kept her own bathing machine so that she could enter the water without anyone seeing her immodestly attired. Albert built a Swiss cottage in the garden, complete with a working kitchen for his children to play in. After Albert's death, Victoria spent much of her time at Osborne, the site of so many happy memories. In 1878, Alexander Graham Bell demonstrated the telephone to the Queen by placing a call from Osborne to Southampton and to London. Queen Victoria died there in 1901. Her son, Edward VII, presented Osborne to the nation on his coronation day. The house is now open to the public. Balmoral Castle, 1852 to today 
This castle is not in England, but in Aberdeenshire, Scotland. But as it was built by and remains a frequent holiday destination of the British royal family, it makes sense to talk about it here. King Robert II of Scotland had a hunting lodge on the Balmoral estate in the 1300s. Victoria and Albert visited Scotland and they fell in love with the Highlands. The rugged terrain reminded Albert of his home in Germany. He bought this 50,000 acre estate in 1847 and began to plan a new holiday home. The Scottish baronial style castle is reminiscent of a medieval castle, but with the conveniences of the 19th century. Victoria, Albert, and their nine children visited each autumn. Victoria took long walks and Albert enjoyed hunting deer. After Albert's death, the queen erected a statue of him and a memorial pyramid on the estate. The widowed queen spent up to four months a year there and developed a relationship with John Brown, a Scottish servant. Many called the queen Mrs. Brown behind her back. After her death in 1901, the royal family continued to enjoy autumn visits to Balmoral, interrupted only by World War II, when King George VI was too busy with the war effort. Prince Charles and Diana spent part of their honeymoon at the Scottish castle. As Prince Albert purchased the estate with his own money, the property is passed down within the royal family and is privately owned by Queen Elizabeth II. Sandringham House, 1861 to today. A Roman villa was once built on this site in Norfolk. The estate is recorded as having been granted to a Norman knight by William the Conqueror in the Doomsday Book. In 1771, a Georgian mansion, Sandringham Hall, was erected. Victoria and Albert's eldest son and heir, Edward, Prince of Wales, enjoyed throwing parties at his London residence, Marlborough House. When his prudish parents discovered that the 21-year-old was having an affair with an Irish actress, Nellie Clifton, they were scandalized. They quickly betrothed Edward to the beautiful princess Alexandra of Denmark and started shopping for a country estate on which they hoped he would pursue proper country life rather than London partying. Prince Albert died at 42 following an argument with his son, and Victoria blamed Edward for causing the stress that killed her husband. She went ahead with the purchase of Sandringham Hall and its 8,000-acre estate. Edward didn't stop partying, and while he and Alexandra had a happy marriage, she looked the other way as he conducted affairs with at least 50 mistresses. The prince also adored Sandringham. He raised the original house and built a new Jacobean-style mansion with all the 19th century modern conveniences, including gas lights, piped bathrooms, and running water. And the prince could reach the estate quickly by train. Edward enjoyed shooting weekends and threw countless country parties there. He began the tradition of Sandringham time, where all the clocks on the estate were set half an hour ahead of GMT to allow more daylight for shooting. Edward also established kennels and a stable, where dogs and racehorses were bred separately. His great-granddaughter, Queen Elizabeth II, has also had success 
breeding dogs and racehorses at Sandringham. Edward died in 1910 and left the estate, which he owned privately, to his son, George V. The new king and his growing family stayed in York Cottage, while his mother, Queen Alexandra, kept the main house. George declined swapping accommodations, saying his father had built the house for his mother. And the smaller space was also an excuse for the misanthropic monarch not to throw parties. George did entertain his cousins, Kaiser Wilhelm II of Germany and Tsar Nikolai II of Russia there before the outbreak of World War I. In 1932, he gave the first royal Christmas speech, which was written by Rudyard Kipling from a studio erected on the estate. George V died at Sandringham in 1936. His eldest and least favorite son, Edward VIII, inherited the throne and the Sandringham and Balmoral estates, but no money. Edward resented the cost to upkeep the large homes, both of which he found boring, but his father's will prevented him from selling them. Within a year, he abdicated the throne to marry American divorcee and Nazi sympathizer Wallace Simpson. His younger brother, now George VI, bought Sandringham and Balmoral from him for £300,000. The value of the estates was one of many resentments between the brothers. George VI, who had been born at Sandringham, enjoyed country pursuits and Sandringham House very much. He died there in 1952. His daughter, Elizabeth II, usually spends Christmas at Sandringham and remains there until the anniversary of her father's death on February 6th. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe. I'll be putting out new podcast episodes each Thursday, revisiting and revamping my most popular YouTube videos, and adding even more fascinating information for your listening pleasure. Want some visuals with your history? Then check out my YouTube channel, also called History Tea Time with Lindsay Holiday, where you can find hundreds of videos about queens of the world, royal history, women's medical history, and more. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, full work limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.